It ain't on the site yet. Well, here you go. How you doing over there? Hey man, I'm good, man. I'm good. How you doing? Ah man. It's a whole lot of everything and nothing. I hope <laughs> I hope this this catches people right where they need it to, like off balance, because you know, I, I just don't like being scheduled anymore. And I get asked, like, oh, when you gonna do another podcast, when you do a podcast. And I feel like I was letting some people down, but I feel like absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> I feel you, man. Nah, man, but you know, I miss this. You know, like for whatever it's worth, we try to have our conversations outside of this. But you know, I I I felt compelled for us to get on it today and talk about what uh oppression in the second. Yeah. And and so man, I've been my sweet serenade to that is like. If you were to do the research, we're not going to even talk about the number of shootings. But if you were to do the research on mass shootings, right? Now, I think they said it was like, what, 621 something in 2021 alone. Yeah, bro. But for real, for real, if, if we were to look at the data, right? I hate to say this, but if we were to look at the data, who would be most likely to be a, a, a mass shooter? Uh, like white males between the ages of 18 and probably 34. Mm, that's very specific, sir. Where, where would you be pulling that data from? And so uh, the FBI keeps statistics on mass shooters. So the definition of a mass shooter is that there's four or more casualties, not counting the actual shooter. So if it's three people, and the shooter kills himself, not a mass shooting. Has to be four, not counting the shooter. That's how the FBI counts the statistics. Damn. So when it comes to that, right, does it have to be a specific location? Because if you if you at your house and end up killing four people and not yourself, is that a mass shooting? That's It, it meets the definition for tracking purposes. But one of the things that they've tried to do is they've tried to conflate the motive behind the mass shooting. So in essential, essentially, if you're doing a drive-by shooting and you kill four people, it's a mass shooting. Um, even if you intended to or not intended to kill them people. So sometimes that goes into the factor whereas there are people who get killed in the crossfire who are not targets who can still be added to that total. And they wanted to create a metric to differentiate that the type of mass shooting for for example, if there's a school shooting, would be different from uh, somebody going to you know their job and shooting up the job if they were because now they want to say oh that's that's workplace violence right well, you know what I mean so so verbiage is important but I think that 
when it comes to our understanding of what a mass shooting is, that we haven't been collecting data as long as people are thinking. Because a lot of times there are people who there's data that's not reportable. And, and sometimes there's data that, that is used to inflate or to, I would say, to misrepresent some of those figures, especially in those smaller areas where the requirement to report it is uh, voluntary. Yeah. Yo, so if that's the case, then, you know, if you were to Google, I tried to ask my Google Nest the qualifications of a mass shooting and it was not having it. <laughs> it's like, uh, we don't know what what that means. Da, 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 shit. I had to worry about the FBI was going to show up at my house. Yeah. Um, and but I but from from a general general standpoint of just trying to understand it, man, I, I, I really did some thinking about something today and I I, I looked at something and I, I wanted to look at the microcosm of something. Right. Like when we think about I was like microcosm, microcosm. It's like what's a microcosm of racism? Right. Like. What's a microcosm of racism, in your opinion? Would you have one? I mean, I put you on the spot. So as you think about one, let me give you one, right? Okay. My, right racism as a microcosm can manifest in many ways, but one example is practice of racial profiling by law enforcement. Yeah. So racial profiling is a microcosm of uh, racism, right? So I would ask the question, if mass shooting itself is a problem that we have, right? And we know that racial profiling exists. Yeah. Why wouldn't there be racial profiling for mass shooters? Well, because I think that there's a tendency um, to downplay violence that is perpetuated by non-melanated people. I think well, that, that. But so yes, that's the easy thing to say. But now we know I'm gonna ask you to go deeper because that's the that is that's oh, yeah. the, so oppression in the second would mean. If we can't statistically go after who would be we would generally think of for the, the from the some of the biggest issues we have, right? We're talking big issues now. We're not even talking about old oh boy hitting the knocking on the door the wrong door. We ain't yeah. got there yet. We oh, yeah. ain't got there yet. But we're talking about like the mass shooters, right? Like if mass shooting's an issue, right? How do yeah. you how do you profile that racially? Yeah, but but I think there goes. I think it, the, the larger question goes to the psychology of law enforcement in America. It's the it's the same reason why on January 6th, the police didn't shoot nobody or there wasn't mass casualty event. Because there is a tendency to be lenient on people who look like you. And to be harsher on those who don't. So I so I would say that there is definitely don't get me wrong. There, there are people who compile this data. Uh, the the uh, Department of Homeland Security and the FBI said the number one domestic terrorist threat in this country is white supremacist domesticated terror. This is the government saying that. They, they know what the threat is. Right. Unfortunately, I don't think they have the tools to combat that threat because I believe they've been infiltrated. They've been infiltrated. The government has been infiltrated. Well, well, I don't. Well, when I say infiltrated, I mean is that they don't know how to differentiate a good person from a from a bad person who has not melanin. Correct. Because if there was a if there was a race war, you can make an argument in America whose side the police gonna be on. 
Hey, 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 man. What about those? What about the people who look like me and you, but that are in the police like you? Yeah, but you got to think, though. I mean, that what is the t- statistics that are in the police of people who look like us? I mean, there. are when you start to look at the demographics of policing, primarily outside of urban areas, even urban areas, like, for example, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 50 percent of our city is black, but our police force over 60 percent white. And so when you start to look at the demographics of that, you would say, well, the police don't look like the community or demographically like the community. So so but I think that it's ultimately it's not the rank and file people. To me, it's the people who've been in policing 10, 15, 20 plus years. Company this, huh? Company men. Yeah, exactly. Because like I said, the FBI issued a report in 2000, uh, the early 2000s, talking about white supremacists wanting to infiltrate policing. They want to infiltrate policing because they understood that if I want to do racial violence, the best way to do it in this country is to have a badge on. The best way to get away with it is have a badge on. But my concern is they have put in no screening, no additional tools to weed out said individuals. Now, let's, how do we come up with something like that? Because believe it or not, I'm. these are the conversations that I'm having about trying to identify mental model myopia in people, right? Trying to identify how cognitive bias leads to those logical, uh, those those fallacious arguments that lead to cognitive distortions yeah, that allow for mental model myopia. But if you look a certain way, let's go back to the movie American Psycho. Can we go to the movie American Psycho yeah. for a second? Christian Bale, can yeah. we talk about this movie of, of, of how this man literally, literally, and if anybody want to comment, you know, I'm trying to show comments and stuff from, you know, the social medias or whatever. Christian Bale was crazy. He was, he was, it's hell, right? But you saw, like, I saw some of his struggles in there just trying to fit in, right? He Dudes couldn't even remember his name. People that he was trying to, like, impress or be impressive for did not even care who he was, would call him the wrong name. Hell, he would bring himself up in the third person and would hear them talk shit about him in third person thinking that he was somebody else yeah. and he tried to call and, and and he talked to his lawyer which his lawyer by all means had adult uh attorney client privilege to not turn him in but dude got away with murder on this thing he was crazy and the reason that he did was why well because he didn't fit the profile didn't fit the profile baby. But, but so but let's and money and the money too, right? But, but, he but killed he, people in those in those high end yeah. freaking apartments. And when he came there to go see what was happening, somebody was like, "Hey, get out of here! Don't come back." They didn't want to lose the value on that damn house, bro. So, but but let's but let's take that ideology. Let's say this: when a, a white shooter shoots up a school, do we scrutinize his parents like we do a black child who was killed for jaywalking? I do. No, no, no. What I'm saying, I'm talking about as a system. Do we? Do we say we, we? Of course, of course, we think critically. But I'm talking about when that parent says, "Well, we don't know how our child got radicalized." My first thought is, "Well, you've been living with him for 18 years. You ain't seen no inklings that he had some hatred in his heart." Right. 
But I'm talking about it when it comes to the media. Not I'm not talking about individuals doing their own analysis. I'm talking about the questions that we put to black people that we don't put to any other demographic. Primarily, when a black kid do something, our first thought is, well, his dad wasn't there. His parents wasn't there. His mama wasn't there. We go, we start to unpack that person's life. We go out and find the worst picture he ever took in his life. When he's getting his hair braided and had the braids was braided, and we put and that's the news photo. But when a right. white dude goes out there and shoots up the school, we put up his uh his high school prom photo up there. Right. We say he was a star athlete. We we say we say we use words to downplay the severity of their crime. And I think it put it paints a model in people's mind that this was not the norm. This was abnormal. This is rare, and we're shocked. And I think that's how it's portrayed in the media. Hey, to and, that and, but well, so <clears throat> as we always talk, because I want to make sure that we hit on our certain principles, Doc, that we talk about to make sure that the rhetoric is the same, because we're saying the same thing. Like at the end of the day, there's an individual aspect that's given to them, yeah. right? Like, oh, there's a but for us. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Must have had it coming, right? So, yeah. oh, yeah. But from a media standpoint, that's what you, that's what we got to look at. Okay. Enter, enter Ralph. Okay. Now we have a, a young man that goes and knocks, rings the doorbell, whatever, no phone, whatever, and gets shot. Wrong place, wrong time. Scary ass person. What happened, Doc? Yeah, but so I so and this is where I think that we get into this idea that we understand that if he would have been a white kid knocking on that door, he didn't get shot, he wouldn't have been shot. I don't think exactly. anybody, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. But I think that that uh, there was just an interview that came out with the guy's grandson and said that all he does is listen to Fox News all day. He's essentially he's he's you know, and I think that there is definitely something to be said about this fear of the great replacement. Mm. You know, you have people in their homes who feel like they're losing the country. AI. Yeah. Well, well, I'm talking about demographically. Everything. No, if you think about demographically, that's always been a thing, right? But if you now add AI in the on the outskirts of all of this, that's the thing psychologically. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about it's always been a thing, but urgency dictates methodology not practicality as it gets closer you're going to see more violence and i think that's why you know a couple of months ago uh it's called accelerationist the white supremacists in america have determined that we have to accelerate race violence in order to keep racial control so they were trying to blow up the power grid in baltimore they're trying to poison the water wells out in Texas. They've been trying to accelerate their violence because they understand that in chaos, people will resort back to their animalistic behaviors of not trusting, of essentially, you know, what walling off people. And they understand that they're waiting for our response. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for our response. And I think that that's, that's where you're going to see the most violence is when people who have historically... Uh, been treated uh, very bad. Uh, say no more. That's why I brought the news thing, and you hit it dead on the head, right? But even at a local level, news is a parasite 
and not only a parasite, there's a contagion of passing negative information biasly. Yes. Right. Because if we watch it, hell, I'll watch it and be like, it can't be just this going on or whatever, but like knowing that the news can negatively affect you every day. And if you're sitting around and that's all you're doing, but that's where the mental model myopia creeps in, doc. Yeah. Like you can't see anything else. And like if somebody knocks on the door. So there were two other incidents after this, though, that yeah. I heard about uh, yeah. somebody getting in the wrong car and somebody driving in the driveway to turn around and shots coming out the house. Oh, yeah. And that's part and part of this process is that when you put people in who are who are have a fear you mix that with paranoia and then you give them guns you have a fire waiting to happen right because we're definitely entering to an era where people are resorting to violence because they don't have the faculty to find out what's going on and i think that that is a very um scary uh reality that you know the ball went into somebody's yard and then they like start shooting them you know from now on people are going to people are going to disengage and i think that when it comes to dealing with people there's definitely going to be a let me see your hands assessing threat because because you right now you just don't know like i don't know if i'm going to if i'm going to knock on the door and there's going to be a bigot behind it bruh listen to me I what oh you we were just talking about my trips to you know living my best life whatever right because I'm trying to do some work and stuff right yeah. but on one of these trips I'm going to try to find this old house that my grandmother owns but she's deceased but her mother used to own it and this still kind of in both of their names but I can't find this property man and man I I knocked on the door. I knocked on a, a door and I was scared. And this was like um like within the past three months. Yeah, yeah. But I was scared to knock on that door, right? Like I, was, I can't answer that. Like, hey, I, just knock it. You know what I mean? Like I remember this stuff, right? Yeah. Like these are things that I remember. Like side note, being in Hawaii before the volcano went off, right? Like looking at it like, man, damn, that I wonder what it would look like. And volcano goes off two weeks later. Like, here we are having a conversation about being shot. And I was in the middle of BFE, like Townsend, Georgia, by Savannah, man. And the yeah. old, you know, like Squid Billies type stuff. I don't know. Like, but it, I could have been laced up with a shotgun, right? But it didn't happen. But that's the type of stuff that I think about. But but I think that, that larger fear is something that we don't really, uh, we, I think we don't quantify the impacts of our racist system on our mental health. I, you're right. We don't, we don't quantify it because I, I, I think that, you know, I was talking to somebody today. I said, first off, you know, nothing is broken with our system. It's functioning the way it's designed to function. So when you talk about the castle doctrine, staying your ground laws, essentially, you know, what I've seen happening is that they, the legal construct in this country was designed for people to, exercise their prejudice without legal accountability because my my concern is is that if you're going to if you're going to do something you know that is totally out of rational thought then there needs to be consequences for it but we know that we're living in a country where you can go cross state lines with a rifle shoot up a bunch of people murder two maim one illegally own that firearm 
and you are celebrated as a hero. And when when a country celebrates heroes that are murderers who break the law, what we create is a society that says that I'm going to be more like those people. And in Texas, when that guy, the, the governor is talking about pardoning that guy who drove his car into a crowd of Black, Black Lives Matter protesters, shot, right. shot the guy, killed him. But he said that I'm going to shoot one of these guys today. Wrote, and, now the governor's, and now the governor's going to pardon him. And so what this message that that sends is, is that you can kill people who oppose you politically and you are going to have state sanctioned help to get you off those charges. And that's a very dangerous precedent. So your confident opinion is that there is state sponsored there is a there might be a particular image of state sponsored violence towards political adversaries if you look a certain way well but but, but this is we have to go to what was the second amendment created for mm. most, most people don't know that the only reason that the second amendment was added to the constitution and they don't even know what the role of the militia was in 1789 the role of the militia was to put down slave revolts and rebellions. That's what they were for. The, the, the southern states believed if there was a rebellion, they wanted northern states to come to their defense. And they believed that every military age man should have a gun in order because the biggest threat in that time was slave revolts. A revolt. And so we know that the first black codes in America said that black people cannot own guns. That was what they said. They said that you cannot own a gun. And when they when they created these provisions in law, what they had to do was find ways to justify people not owning guns, which is why if you are a convicted felon, you cannot own a firearm. Nope. And then but see, but they but they knew this. They knew yes. that we have to disenfranchise these people and take away their rights to self-defense because the Second Amendment had nothing to do with foreign invasions it, it wasn't about that it was about black folks not having the right to protect themselves and the people who had the guns were essentially the ones who had to put down those revolts and i submit to you my opinion is that nothing has changed since 1789 because the biggest fear is us because if there were not as many black people in this country we wouldn't have 400 million guns here no you're right. And guess what? If there weren't black people here like that, for real, the lower end white people, well, we'll say Mexicans, I'm sorry, I don't know what would happen. Somebody else would become the target, the ethnicity. But well, I can yeah. tell you this, there would become, somebody would have to become it, right? Well, yeah, but, but see, I look at it like this. We don't live in a homogenous population. No. This is why European countries can have gun reform laws. This is why Britain and Norway and Sweden Australia. and Huh? Yes. Yeah. They, but they can do this because they have a homogenous population. And see, when you when you don't have an external threat, there is no need to create one. Because the, the, the problem is, is that I will say this, that no one fits the description of black people in America only because of the legacy of violence towards us. See, there isn't a, a there isn't a 400 year history that some people have to contend with. 
because the psychology, see, it was Jefferson who put it this way. He said that the way we treat these people, we can't live with them as them being free because they're going to essentially want revenge for how we've been treating them like shit. And, and, and they, we can't coexist. And I think that he's speaking from his own fear because his conscience was guilty. He had guilty yeah. And so when I look at the Second Amendment, my my concern is this. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, listen, the Second Amendment is going to be the kryptonite that destroys America. It's going the Second Amendment will be it will be the cause of the second civil war in this country. It will be it. It's the yeah. only thing because because they ban books here. But the First Amendment says I can read whatever I want to read and they ban and they ban in books. So we know something that's more important, that books are more powerful than guns because ideas lead to revolutions. Correct. Guns put guns, put them down. Hey, and they know that. And you are saying the thing. So right now we would have to say the difference of what we're talking about is understanding the difference in what the Second Amendment was intended for yeah. and how it's been used yeah. since, right? Because so first of all, it's an amendment. So that means that there was something wrong with the original Constitution. No, the Articles of Confederation, yeah. Okay, so the first, so when you talk about the Articles of Confederation, when you talk about all that, when you talk about what the Bill of Rights are, right? Yeah. When did the Bill of Rights come? Uh, the Bill of Rights, they started in 1789 to about uh, 1782, but they were they were they were not added all at once. Right. But they had to. Hey, hey, this Constitution, you know, hey, we need to make sure it's how do you tidy up something with amendments? Right. Yeah. Well, initially, they initially the intent was not to add any amendments. The amendments were added because the Southerners primarily wanted some protections because they had essentially the most to lose in the process. Correct. It was, it was, it was compromises. Like a prenup? Yeah, essentially, because the- they, like a prenup? A, yeah, Hold because up. They, <laughs> Hold up. Yeah. Was, was the, do you feel like the analogy of a, the Bill of Rights and what happened, right? Based yeah. on your research and based on what you do, so we already gonna put the credibility out there, that that was like a prenup to make sure the Southern states felt good about the Constitution. Well, well, in some instances, but I think that they, they, the the Northern states had concerns also, and I think that the idea that the, the 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 Constitution is a charter of negative liberties. It's only designed to tell the government what they cannot do, not what you to not what you can do. Right. And so when we interpret it from this idea that the Second Amendment was a compromise between the southern states because one of the one of the challenges that they ran into is that this idea of what is our biggest threats so for example if you go to 1968 the last meaningful probably federal legislation was the firearms control act of 1968 then they would say well what was happening in the night late 1960s what what prompted that bill well, the Black Panthers, well, black men started getting guns and they were going and protesting with their guns and the federal government came in and said, hey, we got to stop this. That make you nervous. Make you nervous. And so legislation followed to say we have to make sure we can't, you know, ban certain rifles across interstate commerce, et cetera. And so when I look at the history of our gun laws, you know, apart from the 1934 uh, Firearms Control Act, which pretty much said you can't own a machine gun or a, a tank 
Right. You can't have a nuclear missile or nothing like that. Right, right. But, but the but the idea was that the law, the intent of the the, the Second Amendment, and I and I've heard a lot of arguments that have been used that are designed to not create solutions. So, for example, in 1789, they had muskets that could shoot you know five rounds in a minute. And my and my thought process is yes, although technology does up update or upgrade, you know there are limitations because we don't connect the well-regulated part to the right to keep and bear arms not being infringed. Right. And that's where the DC Heller, the Heller decision said that, that, that the clause of the right to bear arm is not contingent upon the clause, uh, a well-regulated initiative, uh, militia necessary for the free state, essentially um, the rights for people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed. Now, the word infringed is a very good word because the word infringed makes it seem as if there were no gun laws in 1789. They did have gun laws in 1789. Okay. Yes, they had gun laws about how to store. You couldn't store gunpowder in a location that had a certain amount of guns in there. You had So they, they had reasonable rules back then, but we don't bring up and go into those rules. They had equivalent of... I guess if you kill three people back then, it would have been a mass shooting. They had shootings of people back then. But the problem is, is that they could usually take down the bad guy because he had to go like this. Got my gunpowder in my musket. He kill about three people. But before he got to this fourth person, somebody could get to him. And right. so one of the things my, my concern is, is that we think of the right as, as something that has been given to us for the wrong reasons, for tyranny. Uh, it's been given us this foreign invasion. And I said, first off, we're not even we're not even unified enough to, to come together if we were invaded by guns. My my concern is, is that what we've done is we've said we've made these anecdotal arguments. Well, it's not the gun, it's the person with it, a good, a good guy with the gun and a bad guy. And my concern is, is that this kind of logic misses the point. Because a good guy can become a bad guy. Easy. And if there is a shooting and you are a good guy with a gun, you're probably going to be mistaken for the bad guy. Let's you know what you're doing. All we know is people are getting shot and you got a gun. Hey, no, here's what we do know. If you're a black man with a gun, you're going to be you might, want to, you might want to put it down. I don't care if you're trying to be a hero, but you're most likely facts. Right, like, I don't care what happens. Like, when somebody show up, if you have to handle your business with a gun as a black man to defend yourself or whatever, yeah. put that gun down and get on yeah. the ground. And just and just so we're clear, you know, I, I'm I think this. I think that gun laws are would hurt black people the most. I agree because we have historically been the group that has been the victim of the most gun violence in this country. I agree. I mean, and but we got to understand, like. You know, when you start talking about how guns get into black neighborhoods, when you start talking about how drugs get into black neighborhoods, you have to understand that, that this is a, a design. I tell people, Ronald Reagan was the biggest drug dealer's country ever seen. <laughs> no, he was. He was the biggest drug dealer that this country's ever seen. He 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 moved cargo ships of coke. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and the reason that I bring that up is because when you start to look at the deconstruction of our community with firearms, I think the argument is so is so fallacious to say, well, how did those guns get into that community? 
How'd they get there? We don't own planes and boats, my friend. Hey, hey, ain't that many gun shops in the hood? Hey, hey, actually, actually, there are more Chinese restaurants, McDonald's, churches, um, churches. <laughs> you know, you, you you know, Asian people are more likely to get a business loan in the black community than a black person, right? Oh yeah. And so, and so, but so, how do these guns and drugs make it inside the community? As you were continuing your cockley explanation. Well, right? well, so like in Chicago is a good example because everybody likes to talk about Chicago, you know. So I can drive across this. I can drive across the border, to Indiana, buy them in Indiana, drive them across the border. And one of the things that I'm seeing happening though is that we're looking at the problem. I think we don't look at the problem as a national security issue. Uh, Dr. Francis Crest Wilson said that gun registration or gun regulation in America would be like genital castration for white men. It would be. And I and, I, and when I thought about that argument, I, I thought about this idea that it has been the, two, the greatest equalizer that we've ever seen. And, and, and I say that because when you start looking at the history of the gun, it was the gun that allowed the colonial powers to take over Africa. They could come in there with a machine gun or a Gatling gun and just mow people right. down. Right. They could take over South Africa. And so it's been their tool. And so when you conflate, I would say two, there are two forces that are coming together right now. One sure. is the, it's the fear of the Great Recession. And the second one is economic instability in this country. When you add those two factors together, then the gun becomes the primary tool for continued white supremacy control in this country. Because they don't believe in law and order. They only say law and order to keep control and power. That's it. But whenever they feel they will lose control and power, they will scrap law and order. And they will do whatever and blow uh, everybody, everybody down. down. Because history, because we know their history. It's it's genetic. They Correct. understand that if, if you if you back someone into a corner, they will fight you harder. Okay. And so and so let's 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 talk about that. Let's 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 get deep. Let's dig deep on that, right? And so we're saying right now, I was saying that oppression in the second is pretty much white supremacy hiding in the second amendment. Oh, bro. But see, it it's never really been hiding. It's hiding in plain sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because my 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 contention is that what we are seeing happening is that there's 10 pillars in our system. We talked about it. Economics, education, entertainment, law, labor, politics, religion, sex, war. Dr. Francis Questwelling brought health in there. So when those 10 pillars are important, if you attack any pillar, they come to each other's defense. So right now, tell them the academic pillar is being attacked. So what comes to his defense? The legislative law pillar uh, will outlaw it. So when you attack one pillar, another comes to its defense. Absolutely. But when you knock all the pillars down, knock the last off. pillar is war. War masks their system because they will they will go to war to keep their system. And one of the and one of the things that I'm seeing happening is when you attack all pillars simultaneously, it increases the fear because we attack the law pillar. Now we can yeah. attack the politics pillar. We can attack the religious pillar because yeah. that religious pillar 
is so detrimental to our thinking because it tells us to pray for our enemies, not destroy them. All and right. All right. Pause. 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 I want you to read some. Can you read that? It's dark. Uh, organized spirituality. That's it. That's all. I, I just want to know. So we're talking about religion. That's something I thought about some. Would organized spirituality be a thing? Because I feel like it exists. I feel like if we were to, I wrote down something here. I said America's oppression is its obsession. Yeah. But right. Yeah. And so from a ment from a just like you said, from a mental and physical standpoint, we have physical laws, policies that affect our life and lifespan, yeah. right? Which affects our psychological safety, right? Yeah. But but now we're getting to a point where I think there could be some sort of conversation here or there of, of, of whether, you know, a, a white man and a black man can have a conversation, both of their fears. And we 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 do that because we we know those same white people who could turn around and shoot somebody because anybody could do that. Yep. Right. And so if I were to have a conversation. First of all, would you ever find yourself? letting off shots off on somebody because you were scared that they were at the fucking door. Excuse my language. No, because like I said, we, we as black people know that we cannot get away with the things that others can get away with. We know that there's going to be more scrutiny. First off, if you're black, you're not supposed to be afraid. You, you can't say I'm black and afraid. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Right. Because you are, because you are the fear. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like I tell you all the time. If a six foot two, 250 pound black man shot a four foot nine white woman and that black man said, I shot her because I, I fear for my life, he going to jail. He might not make it to he, prison. Yeah, he, but because, because the idea is he can't be afraid because look how big you are. You know, and I think that when you start to talk about, when I say the religion, I say, listen, I said, I said we were we were taught in this country the word of God by people who were our enemies. We were taught it by our enemies. Right. So we don't know how to identify our enemies because because Jesus looked like them. They try to make they they a, a, a smarter a, a, a lesser than person would say, "Oh, Jesus is white." These start. Hold on, where did Jesus come from? Hold but, on. But the yeah. So you but see how some of them don't add up, and you know that. Go ahead, Doc. Well, but the psychology of this is so it, it's a docility of it because when when an enslaved person got religion, they were considered non-threatening. And once they got religion, they actually had a better resale value. And I think that when you start to look at the operability of religious thought it has been to bind the mind it's so i i can say look like the scripture says I, I have to pray for my enemies well i must first call them an enemy i must first say you are an enemy like i told him if you don't want me to learn about my history you are an enemy and we don't want to do that we don't want to say that word enemy because if i say enemy it has an idea of adversary and an opposition and someone who opposes me and that's all enemy is 
an enemy is somebody putting an obstacle in my path for enlightenment, for discovery. And to your point about the Second Amendment, what I'd say is this. I'd say that when you start to talk to the, about this country, you know, from Indian exclusionary, from uh, from Indians uh, being took off the reservation, the Gullah Geechee Wars, the firepower has been the the greatest tool. But there's something more powerful than it. And the more powerful tool is because, like I told you, those 10 pillars work only when they are interoperable. Mm. Some pillars, so so slavery started as an economic pillar only. It's an economic system. It morphed into a social system, but it was about economics. And so, and it was also about like differentiating. Well, it's easy. If I had a if I had a white enslaved person, he could run away and I'd never find him. <laughs> Oh, but it was an identification marker that 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 the black wasn't free. So the suspicion of being black follows everywhere we go. Even if you were freed, you were still suspicious because you look like the bondage people. Okay, so question to you: Why did it evolve? And do you think that Hispanic people, just like you just said, I, there's a principle there and a pattern that I acknowledge that I feel like there is a disposition that some Hispanic people have like second generation. Yeah. Like it still feels like there's this immigrant complex, like, Oh, don't do too much to cause too much trouble type shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. But there is, but so, so, so there's, there's a, there's the assimilation challenge that when you enter into a culture as, as any other status in order not to be at the bottom of the list, you have to, accept the fact that those who are at the bottom should stay there because ultimately they could replace you. <laughs> and so what I see happening is that it's, it's, it's the age old strategy of divide and conquer. Cause I, because I don't, you know, I tell people all the time and there was, you know, no Jamaicans left Africa, right. no Trinidadians left Africa, no Haitians, no Barbadians, no, no, Bermuda, no, no one who left Africa had any, other distinction but african right and when you started to see africans who went to puerto rico and made with the spanish and mexicans and you started to see this weird thing happening of a cast and that's what he was talking about before a cast happened but when you start to see the cast happening the cast was primarily off of not necessarily skin color but it was about parentage what generation far how far were you removed from those who are in bondage. And then ultimately there was a skin component to that, but it was also a social economical system. The reason that I think it evolved is because it grew beyond their capability because greed allowed the system to grow to 4 million people. And in South Carolina and Mississippi, there were more enslaved people than they were free white people. Wow. There were more enslaved people. So you had to create a system of control that allowed you to go to sleep at night without fearing a revolt. Whoa, yes. You had, and, and, and that was what religion did. It said, well, what the second amendment, because the militia, one of the things that they would do is they understood that they understood that even free black people could not own firearms. They passed laws to outlaw free black people from owning a firearms because the fear was that the free black people would help 
the, the, the slaves to build a room. And that makes sense, especially if you're sl- if you're scared and you vibrate low and you think that all you're thinking about, oh, you know, I'll go there. And so thinking about that, somebody's just always after your stuff is a good way to vibrate low, right? And so yeah. hearing hearing all hearing all this stuff makes me think of at the end of the day, there's a choice today to think differently about how you do things, right? Like yes. I I recently, and I, the reason I like doing this the way that we do it, Doc, is because we can talk academically and all that, but yeah. I'm always trying to bring it back to how we feel and how it exists right yeah. here and how the principles apply, right? And so like for my daughter, she she lives here with me, right? Okay, great. Um, but I'm still responsible for yeah. her in some form or fashion. Yeah. Now, do I oppress my child? She's 20. And how do you oppress a 20-year-old? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the only depression is the right word, but I think it's oh no, no, no. But you have we have to use the word oppression. Let's just say we have to use oppression. How do you oppress somebody? Well, because I think the word oppression is about being protracted or drawn out. It's so so I think that the reason I, I the reason I don't use the word oppression too often is because there's a pattern because right. I think so oftentimes we're talking about hundreds of years of systems and processes of oppression. Right. Yeah. I think if we used it to say I, I would say that the idea is tutelage because uh, if the parent ideally knows best for the child at, to a certain point. And you might see issues that they don't see that may be perceived as oppression that as they get older may appreciate it. You know, well, I'm glad that, you know, that my parent took care interest in my well-being. But, but I don't follow, follow, follow me, though, because yeah. you're right where I want you to be. Yeah. But I'm using the word oppression for a reason. Yeah, because it could be conflated. Yes. But in her head, it could be oppression because oppression in its definition would mean what? Prolonged, yeah. cruel, and unjust treatment and control. 20 years seems like oppression, doesn't it? Oh, no, no. I, I, no, I, I, only reason I say it is because I think that when we say oppression in the sense of individuals, I think them as subjective. Like I'm talking about objective oppression because because I may say you can't have any candy and you might think you're being oppressed. And I'm, thinking, you know, and I'm that's thinking, why I want you to. That's why I thank you. I want you to challenge stuff that I say yeah. because they mean things, right? Yeah, but yeah, if yeah. Say if we just say the words oppression, like that, sh- that doesn't rain the same way it would to regular people because we want more substance in what you're talking about. Like, yeah. why would you say you're oppressed, right? So I, but I'm using my child as an example because. Yeah. You know, as as parents and as kids, like you remember growing up and you remember wanting to do certain things and your parents would get in the way of that. Right. But you would think about now you're like, ah, I appreciate that. I I, I don't lie, man. I was kind of a I was kind of an anomaly, man. Uh, After about 10 years old, man, I just did what I wanted to do. I didn't have I didn't have a dad in my life and my mom. After about 10, I was bigger than my mom. She couldn't whoop me no more. And she just had to do the... But but I think that part of the problem is is that... How did you get away from that? Huh? 
how did you how did you develop and even though you understood that you had a mentality where you could do what you want you still had to have some sort of self-correction right now to be where you're at to oh, even how but did I that because i think i think we learn by contrast you know i think that i think that one of the things for me is like you know i i could drink smoke in the house before i was a teenager and I didn't have to hide nothing. So when I got to be eight, it wasn't no big deal for me. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. And I think that so oftentimes, I think that one of the things that I, I think one of the things that my mom thought was, if he's going to be doing something bad, he should be doing it in the house. He should be in the house doing it. Right, right, right. Like right. he shouldn't be out in the street drinking. If you're going to be drinking, he should be in the house. Right. And, and so and she, since she took that mentality, it was a lot easier for me to not have to sneak and do stuff. But did you take it at some point in time? I'm pretty sure there was a taking advantage of because that's what kids do. But your mom couldn't stop you from drinking in the house no more. Yeah, but I don't think that the goal, I think the goal was, you know, we, we always but have. The goal or not, Ham, I have to, I have yeah. to stop you. Yeah. The goal or not is to say that you could do things that you probably had no business doing, but she could not stop you because you just admitted that she couldn't so you still had to have some sort of self-regulation because yeah. your mama couldn't stop you yeah yeah but i think that it wasn't that she i think that she she was tired of it she was just tired right. she didn't want to stop me no more uh i think she was tired like but that, so I, as a man would a man get tired and just let his well that's what i'm saying I, there was it wasn't no dad in my house <laughs> but to think from the perspective yeah. of a man because we all get to choose what solidarity we get yeah, yeah. to a part of as oh, a man yeah. how do you think that would have went down yeah but I, I mean it's hard to say because I, I i don't i don't have a reference point because i i would always look to people with dads and i would say oh he's being too tough or 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 why or why this happening but i right. but i would always i'd always think that you know maybe you know we don't get to pick um we don't get to pick our environment you know when we, when we grow up and so because we have to make do what we get and I think that there are people who are very controlled going up, and then you see them in the military and they wild. They they out they, they at the house and then they wild. And you like camel. Yeah, because they were like so constricted. And then they get out there and then they get their first taste of alcohol. They're like, what is this? Woo! And so I so I think that for me growing up, I had an accelerated I had accelerated youth, you know, yeah. and I think that part of that idea comes from comes from you. You don't like so you don't get to pick your environment, and and even with this country, I think a lot of the stuff that we are talking about oppression, I think a lot of things nobody's picking it. Like nobody says, oh, "I want to be oppressed" or "I want to be an oppressor." I think what happens is that it becomes natural. It becomes natural to accept it, and I think that there's a denial of oppression because I think that you can't tell me how I feel about something. That's the. You can't tell me how I feel. If I feel like I'm being oppressed, then I'm oppressed. Now, now let's 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 segue into something real quick. I just heard something about a law, and I'm saying it like it's a rumor, but talk to me about a law in Florida potentially about women having to prove that they've been raped. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that, but I do know that there are a lot, there are a lot of these. Republican laws that are coming out. Like I saw one about the transgender. They got to test your genitals before you play sports. Now, but see, my thought process is is that if if the burden of proof is on, you know, is, is on people who who have power 
have always wanted, and essentially in this country, to control the female body. Yes. And because if you if you if you break down in slavery to its lowest common denominator, it was human trafficking. Okay. It was human trafficking. Right, right. It was right. It, was, it was legalized human trafficking for for immoral purposes. And, and and I'd submit to you today is that these same people in power still want to do immoral purposes in human traffic. I think that's part of what the system does. Because if you look at how many children come up missing every year in this country, it's astounding. It's 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 like a ridiculous number. And I think that when it comes to the system that we've created to not necessarily protect women, but I think the idea becomes that you can't have it both ways. I think that the law, the, the, the goal of the law is to provide a redress of a grievance. And I think that we've created a society where people with power don't want to be held accountable. So they want to be able to rape people. And and I think over time, I think there has been an evolution of of the ideology of no man knows a rapist. But so many women getting raped. From the standpoint of working in a place where you could generally kind of come up with an idea of where rape could happen based yeah. on, right? Yeah. Rape and sexual assault tends to happen by somebody you know. Alcohol is involved. Alcohol is involved. Yeah. And, and you're most likely going to be between the ages of 18 and 25 in the military, right? Oh, and yeah. then a certain yeah. sexual assault, right? Yeah. And yeah. But, but outside of that, too, right? And probably in, 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 in their peer group. And in the peer group, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so when I heard this, I was like, that is the most bullshit law that makes sense in my whole what the fuck? I was like, so you gotta prove that somebody raped you? Well, if you go, hold on now. But then as a legal professional, I said, if you were to go to the cops and say that somebody raped you right now, wouldn't you have to show some sort of evidence to prove that happened? Oh yeah, but I, I think that what we're seeing today is the the idea of of innocent until proven guilty is out the window. I get that, but, but black. walk with me. This law sounds ridiculous, but in yeah. the burden of proof that you would have to prove that somebody raped you before you before somebody was criminally charged with rape. Well, I mean, if if there is if but if there is no physical evidence, then it legally boils down to he say, she say. And then, it, so it's like, it, so it, I think just like you always talk about, Doc, this is an opportunity to hear the dog whistle be like, oh, they're trying that. So the smartest thing you would ever tell people who become a victim is, hey, go directly to the doctor, go directly get a saying kit, do everything you can to make sure this person does not get away. Oh, yeah, definitely. But like I said, when you talk about when you talk about some of the stigma associated with it, you know, I do think that there are there are a lot of people who don't come forward out of fear that they won't be believed. They, they are sexual assault, they are raped, and they won't come before because first off, they don't want that stigma on them. And they ultimately sometimes I, I think that there's this there's a there's a victim blaming thing. It's that victim blaming. Like, oh, listen to me, man. Women, women want to be able to go anywhere and look however they want to. Oh yeah, yeah. 
That's the thing. Women want to go anywhere they want to, look however they want to, and say whatever they want to say. And and spend the money of everybody else wherever they want to and get the hell up out of there without having to do a damn thing. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, but I but I think that that what we are seeing oh. happening, I think what well, we're seeing, I think what we're seeing happening for the trees, Doc. Lip, oh, don't, no, no, but, but, I, but I think I think we're about rape though. Yeah. We're talking about rape. And we're yeah, talking I, about rape that comes from people that you know. Right? Yeah. How do yeah. you find yourself in situations? Somebody would say, I don't want to be held accountable for putting myself in certain situations, which is why in the military, it came down to that expedited transfer stuff. Yeah. Right. And all these. And so, yeah, but we'll take on the cases in the military because guess what? It's just training and souls get lost. And guess what? Yeah. If it's somebody black or they don't care about it, guess what? Toss them. Oh yeah. But like I said, I, I've, I've been a part of a lot of rape cases in my time in the military. I believe you. I've been a part of a lot of cases, and I right, and I and I and I've talked to the OSI agents who do the investigations because they changed that rule where they got to be. And, and when I talk to those guys, what they end up primarily feeling like is that a lot of times it they don't have enough evidence to prosecute. First That's of all, OSI, first of all, OSI investigation for sexual assault are trash. But anyway, but I'm gonna say, but but it tends it tends to be that they don't usually have enough evidence. To, to go, if this, like for example, if this were to go before court, and this was to be, if the standard is reasonable doubt, then yes, there is there. Yes, they know that there is reasonable doubt there, right. and I think when it comes, unless there is video, because the military said you cannot film yourself having sexual activity. Can't it's illegal. So, so ultimately, if you if you had documentary evidence, that could be a problem. And but but the reason I think that's important though is because when you start to look at these cases, I think that they're individualized cases. Yeah. I think that when you create a blanket policy, I think you miss you miss the intent of, of what you're trying to get, which is justice. Because I think that a lot of uh, primarily, let's say there was a case in uh, Memphis where this dude was out here serial raping women, being a rape, and and the cops were not doing the rape kits. Right. And so this guy went out and raped and killed a white woman. But guess what? They tested that kid immediately, found out who it was. And now that dude could have been had he because he raped black women, but those kids were getting tested. And I think that the way our justice system works was if the victim of the crime uh, has certain, you know, features, which we, we know what those are, then then the, the investigatory methods tend to be a little more severe or oh, more prompt. You got me. Got me. You got me in the segue to take it back to where oppression in the second. All right. That's why you will never see racial profiling for a mass shooting because it will take out the peak, the white supremacy complex. So white supremacy hides inside the oppression. But let, we got to move to the book tip. Money tip, book tip. It's that time. Sorry. Got him. Got him. All right. So money tip, book tip. Hey, I'm a combined I'm going to combine mine, right? And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to share a screen real quick. And I'm going to go to, where is this? Uh, boom. So I'm going to share my screen real quick. 45 seconds here. Um, what you see is um, how to attract money. Um, this book combines like spirituality and how to positively think about money. And so it's a good book. And that is my book tip. 
All right, Doc. We got 25 seconds. So quick book tip, quick money tip. Man, you know, we were talking about the Second Amendment. And, you know, you can't find this book on Amazon. It's called The Turner Diaries. It's a it's a post-apocalypse white supremacy fantasy book about the good old days about killing black folk and how they're going to do it. Their strategies. It's a very good book. But I would say money tip. I would say uh, diversify your portfolio because the dollar denominated assets ain't what they used to be. Right, right. Diversification. Right. Okay. All right. And so speaking of which, you know, I'm a... Uh... I'm wearing a little, a little something. I'm always trying to wear something, but you know, I just wanted to share, make sure, you know, show your reverence objectively out of Rai Ray. You see the gear, you got the sex trophy stuff here. You know what I mean? You can shop all, you know, did you, you got a sex trophy. What does sex trophy mean? Sex trophy means that at the end of the day, like we are gods and the closest thing we are to God is making other people right so you as yourself are a sex trophy so you be the best you could be because your parents tried to be gods with you so if you ain't shit guess what <laughs> all right and so objectively uh autorare has a lot of different things here you can say stuff you want whatever mouse pad look i got the mouse pad right here baby y'all okay. can't this this special right here this that special <laughs> You know what I mean? Hey, we got the coasters right here. You know what I mean? We got the coasters going. We got the stickers. You know what I mean? We got we we got the we I got the the merch in the back. I'm not playing, so you know, check that stuff out. And so, you know, Doc, final thought, real quick, man. Um, as I get rid of this, <clears throat> and I appreciate you shopping and anybody else who does. Final thought is this stuff isn't to like be distracted. It's not the make somebody say we racist it's like we're trying to figure out what's going on lighthouse series right is is there oppression and white supremacy hidden in the second amendment because well i i'm i'm just starting to see too much stuff doc knows that he has all the secrets i'm just trying to be like him right but what we're gonna do is uh we're gonna get out of here and i know we've been popping up randomly just like you know pop up pop-up concert and that's what it's going to be for right now if you care you care if you don't you don't if you see it you see it the lighthouse is a guide or a warning pick one pick one hey we out here though hey all day peace third save for a second doc